morning. Welcome. Thank you all for being with us here today. My name is Justin Crow. If anyone does not know who I am, I'm one of the pastors here at Mission Church. And uh, today, along with every day, we want to make this all about Jesus. And we are excited that you are here with us to see what he is up to, to see what he is doing. Sometimes we don't know what he is up to, and that's okay, but we know that it is always good. If you came in this morning, uh, you should have been at least offered one of these, the First Corinthians Reader's Guide. If you don't have one, uh, there should be some out there. It won't bother anybody for you to go get one. Um, but this is just for you to have with you on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights at MCs. Take notes in, write in, draw pictures in. Whatever it is you do, they're free for you to have. But this morning, we're going to continue through First Corinthians, and we're going to read the entirety of chapter 2 just to kind of see where we've been and see where we're going. We'll focus on verses 6 through 16. But if you would, read along with me, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we, might, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to tell you a little something about myself. Uh, I'm not a big sweets person. Like It's not that I don't eat them at all. I just don't really like sit around and think of cookies and cupcakes. Now, donuts, they, they're in a category all their own. I will eat all of them. If we have some here, save them for me. I'll eat them on the way out. But cookies and cakes will last months at my house if it's left up to me to eat them because I just forget they're there. Now, it's not for health reasons, even though I'd like to lie to you and say, it's because I'm so healthy. I had an entire bag of salt and vinegar chips the other day. And you're like, oh, a fun size. No, I don't mean that. I mean an entire like family size, probably like nine servings on the thing on the back. All of those. Ate them all in one sitting. I, I, I left that part out. All at once, didn't get up, ate the whole bag. Okay? So it's not a health thing. It's just sweets are kind of, eh, I, I don't know. 
But an alternative, if you are looking for a healthier treat, is fruit. It kind of satisfies the craving. There's some sugar in there. So the other day I was craving sweets, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a healthier choice. I'm going to make myself a fruit cocktail, fruit salad of sorts, okay? So I cut up some pineapple, and then I cut up some cantaloupe. What else do I have in there? Some grapes, some blueberries, and I was going to put some cherries in there because it's not a fruit salad if there's not something red, right? It's got to have a little pop of color. you got to have some red in there. Y'all are all wondering where I'm going with this, and that's fine. So I looked in the fridge. We didn't have any cherries. So I was like, what am I going to do? And then I saw another red fruit in there, and I was like, problem solved. And y'all are like, mmm, strawberries. Nope. Mmm, watermelon. Nope. Cherry tomatoes. Put them in there. Put them in the fruit salad. Cut them up. Why are y'all looking like it? Cherry tomatoes are a fruit. They're a fruit. Don't judge me. They're a fruit. Don't knock it till you tried it. I'm lying. I ruined the whole thing. It was disgusting. No, but I'm also lying. I didn't actually make myself a fruit cocktail, but it was in this moment right here. I'm going to make a fruit salad for a snack. Are y'all insane? Like, I do eat cookies. Anyway, knowledge is knowing tomatoes are a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put them in a fruit salad. We're done. See y'all. Come to Jesus. We're done. That's it. See, this is good. This is good. All right. This is the fundamental difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing something. We all know things. Everyone here knows things. Everybody here knows different things. However, wisdom is the ability to interpret and apply those things. And this is where Paul shifts his attention this week. Last week was really about knowledge. Christ and him crucified. The truth of the fact that Jesus was crucified. We've discussed this over the past few weeks. Corinth was a place that loved knowledge. They loved new wisdom and new interpretation of things. And they would sit around and just kind of talk about their ideas and, and what's new on your mind today and what's new on your philosophies today and your, what has changed in your worldview today. This is kind of what they liked to do. They love learning. So Paul, knowing his audience, writes this letter to remind them that there is no knowledge above the gospel. There is no knowledge above Jesus and him crucified. There is no truth to appeal to to make Jesus more true. Jesus is the truth. All other truth falls underneath that. You can almost see Paul sense the eye roll of some of the Corinthians. Oh, this again. Or, yeah, we got it. And he's saying we don't graduate past the gospel. We don't graduate to bigger and better things. We continue to look into the gospel for new truth coming out of that, not the other way around. Paul would say there is no next. We continue to grow in our understanding of the gospel, how it applies, how it affects us, how we live it out, how we pursue Jesus, how, we, how it shapes every part of our lives, our words, our deeds, our actions. Everything that we do, everything that we think should be shaped by the gospel. We don't move past it. We move further into it. And this is why Paul makes sure that he states in verse 6 that he is imparting wisdom, but not worldly wisdom, not the wisdom you're looking for, not the wisdom that you think you have if you are a worldly person. He's not appealing to the pinnacle of human intellect here. He's telling them in their pursuit of wisdom, they're missing the true wisdom. They're missing the best wisdom. They're missing the highest wisdom 
They're missing the point. The gospel saves ultimately, but if you are in Christ, you are also being saved by the gospel. This is what it says in chapter 1. You are still being saved. Ultimately, you are saved, but he's still shaping you day by day by day, moment by moment, so that you look more like Jesus, and that is through the gospel. That's why we preach that every week here. It's because it just content. We forget it. We need to be reminded. We need to be shaped by it every week. We we jokingly say, and we're not even really joking. We have one sermon here. Paul has one sermon: Christ and Him crucified. In their pursuit to know more and learn more and be more wise, they're missing that. They are missing exactly what it means that Jesus was crucified. They're missing what it means to interpret that through wisdom. They just have the knowledge, so they think they can just move past it. You see, this was not just a young church problem, though. This was not just because they were young Christians and they maybe they just hadn't had the education or, or the understanding. If you look in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his very own disciples. And he's talking to them pretty close to the end of his ministry. So they've been following him for a while. Again, they didn't meet that day and he told them this. This is years, a couple years into what Jesus is doing here on earth. Following these men are following him. None closer really than Peter, except maybe John. Peter was with him everywhere. In in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And Peter rebukes Jesus. I want to say that again because I don't know. Peter, a man, rebukes Jesus, the, the, the God that he is following, the man he is following. Peter rebukes him. He's like, no, no, you ain't about to go die. I'll go with you and I won't die because I die hard. It's a good movie. Okay. I told you I'd work that in. I almost had to rescind Hannah Vanderpool's membership this week because she said Die Hard is overrated. Church discipline after this, done. All right, I, look, I told you I was going to bring it up. But Peter, when confronted with the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the cross, he says, that sounds stupid. Like, why would you go to Jerusalem and die? You were Jesus. I'm following after you. No, 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 no. We're not doing this. I will fight for you. We will fight for you. We'll take up for you. He is. This is the knowledge, the wisdom that God decreed before the ages is what it says in verse 7. This was God's plan all along that Jesus would come and Jesus would die on a cross. And Peter, a finite man who was 20 years old or whatever he was, is like, nah, I got a better plan. We're going to go up in there, make heads roll, and we'll set up power. We'll take over. And he was the one that was verbally saying it, but I'm sure all his other disciples were thinking the same thing. No, that's not a good plan. The plan is not for you to go into Jerusalem and die. Why would that be a good plan? They're all thinking it. And here's the thing. This would be our reaction as well. If we had been there, we would have said the same thing. Man would never have invented this story. This is another reason why you can believe the truth of the Gospels. Man would have never invented this story. Hey, we're going to form a religion where you follow after a guy. And here's the story we're going to tell him. The hero dies for the villains. He, he, the good guy, dies for, not because of, now he did die because of the bad guys, but he died for the bad guys to save them. No man is going to try to set up power by telling that story. And that would have been our reaction as well. In fact, it still is to this day everyone's reaction when you tell them the gospel if the Spirit does not intercede for them. 
Paul even says in verse 7 that it is a secret and a hidden wisdom. He does not say it is a secret and hidden knowledge. Everyone knows Jesus died. A lot of these people may have been alive when Jesus died. But if not, they were at least just the next generation. So it's not like this story had been told for hundreds and hundreds of years like it is now. A lot of these people would have definitely known for a fact that Jesus was killed on the cross. It would have been fresh-ish knowledge to them. We see in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, if you don't believe my story, just go ask the people that are still alive that saw it happen, that literally witnessed Jesus die. So these people knew Jesus died. It wasn't a secret and hidden knowledge. It was a secret and hidden wisdom, meaning some get it and some don't. Some understand that knowledge and interpret it well and apply it well, and some don't. But if they had this wisdom of who Jesus was, they wouldn't have killed him. This is what Paul says. If they had known who he was, they wouldn't have killed him. They would have crowned him king. They would have made him their ruler. They would have made him attach them to some political scheme or whatever and taken over. But you see, Jesus did, did not come for that kind of honor. He came to be worshipped, not honored as a king. He came to be obeyed and followed, but not as a politician is obeyed and followed. You see, usually, verse 7, it says, the wisdom that is secret and hidden will have an effect. It is for our glory. Uh, if you read your Bible a whole lot, you may think, well, that's kind of weird wording because normally everything is for whose glory? God's. Jesus, right? It's for your glory, God. But very specifically, it says it is for our glory, not his glory. So why is it our glory? It's because the wisdom of the cross has a real and true effect, and the wisdom of the cross saves us. And we will inevitably, if we are truly saved, be glorified. It is to understand the wisdom of the cross, to truly believe and trust the gospel, means you will go to heaven. If you go to heaven, you will be glorified. So this secret and hidden wisdom that is illuminated to us then ends eventually in our glorification. It has a true and lasting effect. I was teaching a Bible study at Program Living this week, and I asked them, will there be any Christians in hell? And all of them emphatically were like, yes. I know all kinds of people that are Christians that are living crazy and all this stuff. I said, okay, let me ask a different way. Will there be any true Christians in hell? And then they paused. Some of them still said yes. And we had to tell them, no, a true Christian cannot go to hell. It will end in a true Christian's life. It will end in their glory. They meant people that are claiming to be Christians. I agree a lot of those people will. Because there's a lot of people that think or, or say that they're Christian, but they are truly not. They're truly not living out their faith. They've not come to, to know this secret and hidden wisdom. They're just going through the motions. And they may or may not end up in hell, depending on how their heart changes between now and their death. But a true Christian will not end in hell. A true Christian will be glorified in heaven. And that is what it means that it is for our glory. And Paul is saying here to these Corinthians who are obsessed with knowledge and wisdom that knowledge will not save you. Information will not save any of us. Knowing all the facts of what Jesus did will not save you any more than knowing all the facts of George Washington's life or Nelson Mandela's life or any historical figure you can think of. You can know everything about them. 
and it will not save you. And the same is true of Jesus if that's all it is. If you just know information about Jesus. Verses 1 through 5, Paul lays out what he preaches and he's sticking to that message. It's Christ and him crucified. Paul has one sermon and that is Jesus. Every time. We're always going to point back to him, he says. But simply knowing that and just knowing the facts of that accomplishes nothing. And we see this play out even today. We see people with all kinds of knowledge, but not a lot of wisdom. We see people agree on historical facts, which is knowledge, but not the meaning of those facts, which is wisdom. Paul came preaching a historical fact. Christ and him crucified is a message of historical fact. John Dominic Crossan wrote a book called Jesus, a Revolutionary Biography. In it, he states that Jesus' death by crucifixion under Pontius Pilate is as sure as anything historical can ever be. With similar conviction, Gerd Ludman wrote, Jesus' death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. These are current writers that are alive today. These are strong words. To say something is as sure as anything historical can ever be and that it is indisputable are strong words. The word indisputable means unable to even be challenged, meaning you look stupid if you say, mm, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's true. You have zero leg to stand on to even begin the argument of something that's indisputable. If it is indisputable, it is historical facts. This was Paul's claim then, and it is their claim now. The difference, Paul was a Christian. These two men are staunch atheists. Staunch atheists. The books were not written to say Jesus was awesome. You should follow him. They were actually written a little bit to ridicule people that follow him. You know why? They can acknowledge the fact that Jesus died on the cross. They don't acknowledge what that did, what it accomplished, what was being done at that moment for history, for us, for saved believers. But how can they see the fact, have the knowledge, but not have the wisdom. They're saying the same thing Paul did. They're preaching the same message Paul did. Christ in him crucified. Just like the analogies of the tomato, knowledge is one thing, wisdom is another. All of these men have the knowledge or had the knowledge of what Jesus did. Only Paul was revealed the secret and hidden wisdom of Christ to know what it meant. Anyone can get knowledge. But verse 14 tells us clearly, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. We've talked about folly the last couple of weeks. It's foolish to them. It doesn't make sense. No way would I believe that. That's silly. It's folly to them. They are spiritually discerned. These truths are spiritually led, spiritually revealed, spiritually discerned. Knowledge does not save you. It is only the wisdom of the cross that saves and only the Spirit can convince you of that wisdom. Only the Spirit can make what was once folly into wisdom for you. Paul is saying in these verses that true wisdom is from God. God points us back to one thing, the cross of Christ. He points us back to the cross of Christ and what was accomplished there. This is the wisdom Paul is speaking of. 
True wisdom, not of this age and not from the rulers of this age. This is how Paul lays it out. This is not wisdom that you're thinking of, where you're just smarter all the time. This is the wisdom of knowing what was accomplished there cosmically, eternally. So how do we go from knowledge to true wisdom then? Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals them. We have stated this so many times, especially in this sermon series. Salvation is a work of God. This is all God's doing. God turns knowledge into wisdom. And only God can truly do that in this case. These verses right here are a case for the Trinity. They are explicit in the Trinity's actions in salvation. God elects. It says here, this is all over scripture, but even here in these verses, it says that God decreed this wisdom before the ages began for our, meaning believers, glory. He planned to save, then he planned the method by which to save those he planned to save. I hope that made sense. I think it did. He planned to save some. He planned the method by which those some would be saved. And that leads us to Jesus so we have God's action. Jesus dies. He, his death pays the price to purchase those God has saved. This is the only way. This is the only way wretched, hell-bound sinners have any chance whatsoever of being reconciled to God, being in his presence, whilst, yes, sinning, but not being viewed as sinners by God because Jesus has paid for those. They are paid for and washed away. And then the Spirit regenerates he takes the dead hearts of those God has decreed before time to save and illuminates this truth to them, softens their hearts, takes the knowledge and makes it wisdom. The Spirit does this work. Without this step coming first, we would not respond to the gospel in any kind of loving way, any kind of accepting way, without the Spirit coming first to soften our hearts to hear it. Otherwise, it just remains knowledge. Oh, thanks for the historical facts about Jesus. I'm going to move on with my life now because my heart has not been prepared to know what the historical facts about Jesus mean for history, what was accomplished there. To them, it's just some other guy unless the Spirit regenerates their hearts first. We see in verse 12, the Spirit takes up residence in our heart and then, therefore, will lead us to continue this cycle. Worship Jesus, make disciples. The Spirit leads us then to go do that do we know whose hearts have been softened by looking? I ain't got a clue. That'd be a really cool trick. If I had a superpower, maybe that'd be the one I'd pick. But we don't know, so we share this gospel with everyone. Because the Spirit may or may not have already softened their heart. Or may or may not soften their heart 10 years from now. We don't know. We go share the gospel with whoever. But this is why we can confidently proclaim such a ridiculous and simple gospel and still expect it to work. Because it's not on us. It's on those three. It's on God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to do the work. We just proclaim the message by which he said it would work. And then he does what he does. And it works for some. And he saves some. Too many times, though, we think of wisdom as us. We have to be smart. We have to be super intellectual. We think of wisdom as the men and women who write books on the shelves at stores or the commentaries that I used all week to try to prepare this sermon. We think of wisdom as those guys, or, or the pastors or the missionaries that want to do this for their whole life. Man, I got a job to do. I don't need all this wisdom. Just tell me about Jesus and I can move on. 
But you pastors, that's your job. You missionaries, that's your job. So you, you guys get wise. You guys get super intellectual. However, the gospel is incredibly simple. It's incredibly straightforward. As we saw last week, young children can understand it. When we saw Cal and Maddie being baptized. They can get it. They can get their sinners and they need something to take care of that. And they know to turn to Jesus. Young children can understand this. If someone wants to go to the mission field equipped with nothing but the gospel, they're equipped. And that doesn't mean they shouldn't try to learn more. But they are equipped because it is the truth of the cross that becomes the wisdom of the cross in the hearts of those they go share the gospel with. However, this does not give us an excuse to say shallow in our faith. This does not give us an excuse to be lazy in our faith or to not learn the deeper things of the gospel. This is not an excuse for that. As a matter of fact, next week you will see Paul does not take kindly to that either. In chapter 3, he rebukes them for not being spiritually mature enough to eat food. They're still on milk. I'll let Eric take care of that. But Hebrews chapter 6, 1 also says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. The writer of Hebrews, who many believe to be Paul, but whoever it was, wrote these words, and he's, whoever it was is not saying, here's Jesus, now let's move on to bigger things. Let's move on to more important things. Let's graduate from this elementary doctrine. Of, no, no, no. It is Jesus is infinitely interesting, so let's let's learn the gospel, know the gospel, and then just keep peering into the gospel and keep learning because you ain't smart enough, whoever you are reading these words, to ever get to the end of the knowledge of this gospel. So you just keep learning. But you'll keep learning. You'll keep growing in your knowledge. You'll keep understanding more and more and more and more of it. It's not better stuff. It's a better angle by which to look at the same stuff. It's like a diamond. You turn it any different number of ways and it looks different. He's saying, let us look deeper into this gospel and deeper and deeper. It is simple to understand. It is simple to believe. It is complex in how it plays out in everyday life as you grow older, as you do these things, as your life changes. As you change, the gospel stays the same. Keep looking into it. Keep peering into it. Jesus is so wonderful and so amazing. There is a never-ending supply of topics we can dig into. It's not wise to just know a bunch of information. It is also not wise to neglect learning information. It's not wise to say, ah, I don't need to know what that means. I don't need to know how that looks. If you are a Christian, you should enjoy studying God's word. It's God's word. He is speaking to you as a believer. He's telling you what he did. He's giving you the facts and the wisdom there. We should enjoy studying God's Word. We should desire to know more about salvation and more about what Jesus is up to in our lives now that we are saved. There are people who can use the words eschatology and soteriology seamlessly in a sentence. Some of you are sitting here going, did he just speak in tongues? I thought we was at a Baptist church. What is going on here? 
Some people can tell me the biblical definition of the words propitiation, justification, adoption, and glorification. Some people can tell me in great detail what penal substitutionary atonement is and all of the controversies that are surrounding it. Some of you can define for me what the hypostatic union is. Why is that important? And if it's not true, why we are not saved. And some of you have no idea what any of these means. And here's the thing. Knowing what they mean does not make you wise. So if you were sitting here going, <laughs> I knew what all those words meant. Doesn't mean you're wise. means you're knowledgeable. It might mean you're wise. I don't know what the Spirit has done in your life or in your heart. But simply knowing those things, that is not what makes one wise. Both are okay. But being okay, not knowing what they mean, might not be okay. If you don't even desire to know what those words mean, doesn't mean you're less wise if you don't know what they mean. It doesn't mean you're less saved if you don't know what it means. It means you're missing out. You are settling. The wisdom of God is a gift from God, and it simply points us back to the cross of Christ. The gospel is wisdom in and of itself. However... We should desire to learn more and more about exactly how it is that the gospel truly is good news. We should all desire to know more about the cross that Christ died upon. We should all desire more and more about God's saving work. We should desire more and more about Jesus as a man, as God, and as a sacrifice for our sins. We should desire to know more and more of the spirit that quickens our hearts and drives us forward in our life of faith. Keep looking. You are not going to run out of things to look at. It is not wisdom to be able to define those words, but it is wise to know more and more about Jesus and to know more and more about his word. And to be, it is wise to desire to know what those words mean. It is wise to desire to know more about what Christ is up to. Why? Because we'll be smart and we'll win all those arguments with all those non-believers we're talking to, which you may or may not even be running into, and they're not asking those questions. Yeah, that's why. Because it will grow you more and more in your appreciation for what was accomplished on the cross. The more you learn about how sinful you are and the more and more you learn about how perfect God is and how he should not look upon you with anything but, but wrath and death and send you to hell and only hell, the more you look at that, the more you worship more, more fervently that he didn't do that for you. The more you continue to look at that and think, man, I don't deserve to have any kind of kindness from God, and yet I get nothing but kindness from God, we should worship him more fervently. It will make your life more honoring to him, not because you know a bunch of stuff, but because that knowledge will lead you further and further to your knees in humility, recognizing just how great this man Jesus is, just how great God is in saving you, and just how kind and sweet the Holy Spirit is for caring enough about you to quicken your heart to believe it. We should desire more and more and more of this, not settle for the little bit we've got because we, yes, believe the gospel in Jesus and all of those things. It's not knowledge for knowledge's sake, but it's to grow in our trust of it for salvation. Simply trusting in the gospel for our salvation and then never looking at it again or trusting Jesus for our salvation and then moving on as if it was just another historical figure that happened, it's settling. It's settling for good enough or a mere glimpse of something or a mere taste of something when a feast is offered you over here. I'll just take the one little bite. I don't need the feast. I don't want the feast. The feast is awesome. 
The feast is much better. Everyone would desire the feast over this, but I'll just settle for this. It's good enough. It's, I'm far enough in my faith. I understand enough. You're settling for good enough. I'm uh, pretty bad with dates, so I don't know how long ago this was. Ask Todd or Eric. But we took a trip some time ago to Gatlinburg. We went hiking. Now, some of y'all would call it mountain climbing because that was more accurate to what we did. It was not a leisurely stroll through the park. Okay, We were climbing this mountain that Todd has always wanted to climb. It was his idea. He planned the whole thing. Literally, Eric and I just showed up, and that was all we had to do the work to get up the mountain. But Todd did all the stuff. I think it was about a year ago. Either way, however long ago it was, I'm still sore from it, but that's a whole other topic. Okay, We took off. Now, the first part is, you're just, just walking along. Like, oh, there's a deer, literally a deer, like 12 feet from us. Like, we're just walking on some gravel. It's pretty flat. There's nothing to even turn your ankle on. And then, it wasn't that anymore. So we climb up this mountain. Now, on the ascent, numerous times, our breath was taken away by views we'd seen, or would see. My wife tells me I'm terrible at remembering to take pictures, and she's correct. But that day, I was good at it, because it was, it was like every five seconds, you were just seeing something else that you had just never seen to see before. We saw water going down the mountain that looked like if it was a mile deep, you'd still be able to see the bottom. It was so clear, and it was just running. It was so peaceful. There wasn't a whole lot of people around, because, again, we're mountain climbing and not taking a stroll, so not too many people except for that three-year-old that made it to the top and that 70-year-old that made it to the top. But that's beside the point. We are really in good shape. Shut your mouth. So we took all these pictures. Our breath was taken away numerous times. I can't even tell you. It was indescribably beautiful. But it took us a long time to get to the top. There's a remote camp up at the top that, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's llamas they use. That's the only way they can get supplies up the mountain. I don't even think it's a helicopter can get up there. Like it's literally, I'm, I'm almost positive it's llamas, okay? But either way, it's an animal and they only get supplies a few times a year because it's really difficult to get said animals with said supplies up the mountain. And here we are, three middle-aged men who think, we're fine. We can go up the mountain with the llamas. So we get up to this camp. We are incredibly tired. It was uphill both ways. I don't know how the mountain pulled that off, but we were really tired. We get there, and we see a sign that says Myrtle Point, 0.7 miles that way. And we're like, oh, but we just want to go back down the mountain, which downhill was harder, by the way. I don't know how that was possible, but anyway, we just wanted to go down the mountain. We wanted to be done. We were tired. All three of us were tired. However, Todd Cosby, the fourth reason, was like, look, we're already this close. It's 0.7 more miles. It doesn't look that difficult. Wrong. Not that difficult. Let's go. Walk the extra miles. So we did. We decided we're already this far. Let's just go the extra 0.7 miles. So we walk the extra three-fourths of a mile. We come up around this corner, and this is what we see. Pictures do not. I know everybody says, the pictures don't do it justice. Well, it's true. The, like... I don't know what was going through their heads because we were too, we couldn't talk. But we walked around the corner and literally other than the mountain directly behind you at this angle, you could see everything. Three-fourths of the way around you, the only blocked view was behind you. It was 
incredible. I can't, uh, if you can hike up a mountain, if you are in good enough shape to do that, go to this one. Okay, I can't recommend it any more. Here's the thing though. Had we not gone the extra distance, the extra 0.7 miles, we could have gone home happy. We saw a bunch of beautiful stuff that day. We would have been fine. We would have still come home and said to our wives, babe, it's beautiful. I can't believe we got to do it. It was so awesome. We loved seeing it. It was great. We could tell people we hiked up Mount LeConte, which is where this is found. We wouldn't be lying. We did. We hiked to the top of that thing. Now, we really hiked to the very tippy top of this, but we could have said we went to the top because we made it to that camp. So everybody counts as the top. We could have said ev everything we can say about the, the trek right now, we could have said had we not gone this extra 0.7 miles, except we wouldn't have seen that. And we may not have even been aware of what we were missing out on. We would have been happy. We would have been fine. But if we had neglected this, we would have missed this view that I will never forget. And this is true if you are settling for an elementary understanding of the gospel. If you are settling for simply knowing Jesus as good enough. Are you saved? Yes. Are you heaven bound? Yes. Is it going to be glorious there? Yes. Are you going to be less happy there in heaven than I am if I do study and do get wisdom and do learn? From what I understand, no. You will be just as happy in heaven as the, the learned man. But on your way, you'll be settling. All the things will still be true. You'll be saved. Jesus will still be your Lord and Savior. All of those things. But you, could, you are missing out on so much more. Paul is saying here to the Corinthians and to us, you want real wisdom? It's your thing. You want real wisdom? Look at the cross and keep looking at the cross. And then look at it some more. And then look at it some more. And then look at it some more. This is the wisdom God is planning before the ages. This was the plan all along. The cross of Christ. This is what God was going to do. And he was going to reveal that to us as meaningful through the very spirit that he would send to convict us of sin that led Jesus, the sin that led Jesus to that cross. A smart person knows a lot about a lot. They can be knowledgeable. We all know these people that just seem to know something about everything. I know all of y'all know one because here I am. Some of y'all are like, wait, what? Oh, you. Okay, now, anyway, that's not true. I got three topics. Jesus, drug addiction, and some sports, which is falling off the train. I, like, I don't even know that stuff anymore. And if you're talking about something else, I'm usually just nodding along, trying to find a segue back to those topics so I look smart again. So I'm like, uh-huh, computers, huh? Jesus made those. You want to talk about Jesus? Um, anyway, Paul is saying here, you can be smart. That's fine. Be as intelligent as you want to be. Be a genius. But don't be so genius that you miss the point of the cross. Don't be so genius that you've, you, I've graduated beyond my understanding of Jesus. Know whatever you want, but the truly wise person is looking into one thing continually over and over and over, and it's the cross. This is where God has been pointing to since time began, and this is where the Spirit is pointing you back to if you are a believer, when he convicts you of sin, when he encourages you, when he shows you the error of your ways, when he shows you you're on the right path. He is still pointing you back to the cross because you've either turned away from the cross and he's trying to get you back to it, or you're pointed at the cross and he's saying, keep going, go ahead. I encourage you to continue to look at the cross. 
It's the crux of human history, the cross of Christ. God takes the facts of the case. Again, atheists do not deny that Christ was crucified on a cross. No one denies that anymore if they've done any form of research. He takes the facts of the case and turns them into belief. God takes the truth and turns it into wisdom. So what about faith, Pastor? If we just look at the facts of the case, Jesus was crucified. I thought we had to have faith to be saved. I don't have to have faith to believe the facts of the case. And you're right. It doesn't take faith to believe that Christ died on a cross because look at the atheists. They they don't believe it. They know it. They know for a fact Jesus died on the cross. But it does take faith to believe that it mattered. It takes faith to believe that Jesus was not just another name on a long list of men who were crucified by the Romans on a cross. It takes faith to believe that Jesus dying on that cross has anything to do with my life and your life here today. It takes faith to believe that Jesus dying on the cross means that sin, Satan, and death also died that day, but only one of them, Jesus, got up from that death. It takes faith to believe that trusting in salvation provided by this one man on this one cross is true and abiding and that nothing, even the gates of hell, can prevail against it. It takes faith to believe by this one man's death, many will be made righteous. It takes faith to believe that Jesus on the cross was a once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. And it takes faith to believe that by death, of the, the death of this one man, your sin and my sin can be washed away for all eternity. It also takes faith that we know that Jesus on the cross was the method of penal substitutionary atonement and that because of the hypostatic union of God and man in the person of Jesus means that his death serves as a propitiation for our justification, adoption, and glorification so that soteriologically speaking, we will all be saved by this way and eschatologically speaking, we will be gathered to him at the end and never have to leave his presence. You see, it doesn't matter how you say it. I'm not wiser because of that sentence that I absolutely had to read. Wisdom comes from the cross. Wisdom comes from the Spirit. It's not a bunch of fancy words. Were both of those true? Yep. I'm, I'm positive of that. Were both of those ways of saying that it takes faith to be saved? Yes. If one of them made more sense to you than the other, great. But try to learn what the other one meant. Come ask me afterward, I'll tell you. But it is by faith that we know that Jesus on the cross was the method by which God promised this plan would come to fruition. It doesn't take faith to believe that Jesus died on the cross. That's knowledge. It takes faith to believe that his death on the cross saves you from your sin. Your sin. This is where it gets personal. Your sin sent Jesus to the cross. So did mine, and so did every other person in this room. But don't act like he died for the sins of the whole world and flower that up as if you're not part of the whole world. Your personal sin caused Jesus to have to go to the cross. But he went. He died for you. Christ and him crucified is still true no matter how sinful you are. It takes faith to believe that his death applies to you and forgives you of your personal sin. That's wisdom. That's from God. That's from the Spirit. And that is what we hope and have prayed 
over and over again at this church for years now that God would do in the midst of our preaching, of our folly, of the things we're saying that some people in the room are like, nope, doesn't even make sense. Okay, God turns that to wisdom, not us. It's not how convincing we can be. It's not how funny we can be. It's not how good of a preacher we can be. It's proclaim the gospel, the truth, the facts of the gospel, and allow God to turn that into wisdom. Allow the Spirit to soften hearts to hear that as wisdom. It is smart to know that Jesus died on the cross. It is wise to believe and trust the gospel. Which one are you? Are you simply smart or are you wise today? If you are the former, come talk to one of the pastors afterward. If you are the latter, praise God more fervently when we sing this last song. Because he didn't have to do that. The Spirit did not have to quicken your heart to hear the gospel and to believe it and to turn it into wisdom. Jesus did not have to die on the cross. God did not have to make that plan before the ages began. But he did. Do you believe it? Let's pray.